0: Hello and welcome back to the Thundersticks podcast. I am your host, Ben Kreider, and today I'm going to be talking about Lou Dort's Olympic run with Team Canada. And I'm also going to be breaking down every single prospect that we currently know who has worked out with the Oklahoma City Thunder or is going to be doing it in the next coming days. So, starting things out with Lou Dort you guys already know. I mean, you know the spiel. We've been kind of tooting this horn for a couple months now where Team Canada, that's the clear team you want to root for as Thunder fans. You got Lou Dort and you got SGA playing. But before you go there, SGA is not, you know, he was not on Team Canada's roster. He's still healing up from his plantar fascia issue. So, I mean, play it safe obviously you got to make sure he's safe for next year you don't want him going in at 90 percent and what do you know he re-aggravates it because plantar fasciitis injuries are pretty hard to deal with but yeah i mean he was out but we got lou dort in and surrounding lou dort you got the typical guys like the andrew wiggins is the rj barrett's Nikhil alexander walker who is shay's cousin actually and then you got a couple of other ones like andrew nicholson and anthony bennett they um they snuck their way onto that roster but yeah i mean looking at it from the surface level they're a pretty good team, and they played three olympic games in the past week and i just want to break things down you know i don't want to make this a team canada podcast I'll, I'll try not to make it more than like 15 minutes you know but yeah i kind of want to hone in on lou dort and his contributions to the team so whenever they started out in this qualifier obviously got the group stages group a group b group c however many groups it is they were in group a and to start things out they ended up playing against greece and this was actually a pretty tough contest because greece you can't really discredit them at all because manning the point guard position you have a somewhat seasoned nba player in nick kalathis obviously he doesn't play in the nba anymore but when he was playing he was a pretty solid point guard and then the surrounding pieces you also got guys like georgios papayanis you ever played 2k you know exactly who this guy is for the kings what a weird lottery pick that guy was but yeah there were those two couple other fill-ins that maybe aren't as familiar but yeah i mean that's still a very solid team and for team canada they kind of just got all thrusted into the the spotlight that they didn't have a ton of practice time i'm assuming Greece did a little bit but yeah i mean to start things out pretty close game 23 to 19 in canada's favor through the first quarter and then by the second quarter they're up 50 to 46 a lot of it had to do with um just how One guy in particular was playing. That was SJ's cousin and Alexander Walker. He's a guy who we've kind of heard as a potential trade ship for the Thunder if we deal with the Pelicans. They got nasty contracts and Eric Bledsoe and, dare I say it, Stephen Adams. Uh, But, yeah, I mean, maybe you can swindle him out of a package. Obviously, he's very good at scoring because of what he was doing. Those 14 points on 5 of 7 shooting. And, I mean, besides that, I'm not a ton of production, but I'm picking up uh, outside of him, because Andrew Wiggins was amazing in the third, and Canada was still up 74 to 71 at the end of the third quarter. And in the fourth quarter, it was kind of interesting. I mean, Greece was just knocking on this doorstep forever, and they went down from being like seven points away for most of the fourth to with two minutes to go, it was 91 to 85, and they were trying to strike back into the contest, but nick nurse inserted lou dort of course he did and he pretty much carried them to the promised land we know what goes on with lou dort right like he is all energy he wants to take the primary ball handler he wants to just roam he wants to be a safety try to get into passing lanes he's gonna die for every single loose ball and that's exactly what he did i would say like four four possessions straight he was just disruptive it put a complete halt to greece's offense and because of that it gave them just enough room for lou dort to kind of help team canada get away with this one so they won the first game 97 to 91 rick patino who is the national team uh team coach for greece he had something to say about lou dort after the game let me get that quote right here he said if you look at the box score you're not going to say wow but if you look at the film you're going to say this guy can play fun fact about patino um yeah i I guess yeah call it a fun fact or whatever but whenever lou dort was getting recruited five star out of montreal he was still the head coach at louisville and they offered him a full ride scholarship so clearly he must have liked the guy and now he gets to go head to head against him and lou dort was kind of the hero at the end of things, but if you look at the stat sheet from game one, didn't look like Lou Dort was dominant whatsoever. He shot 105 on the game, got three points out of it, had three rebounds, and played 18 minutes. Did have two steals in that game though. So Canada was 1-0. Next game, they played against China, and China didn't have a lot of you know recognizable names. I mean, when I'm thinking of players who did play in the NBA for a little bit like joe Chi for example. He's a beast in uh in the CBA but didn't work out too well with the Houston Rockets. I'll just put it pretty uh pretty tame here. Team Canada rolled right over them. They were spreading the ball out like it was nothing. That was kind of a problem against Greece, but they picked it up. Everyone was getting into double digits in this game and I mean China every single quarter they'd sneak in like a quick 80 90 run to get into like single digits before quarters, but it kept just blowing wide open over and over again and I mean, I think it was like the third quarter where they were able to expand it outside to to 21. yeah, yeah, 21 points and what do you know that 21 points that was the highest they had to that point in the third. Came off a Lou Dort put back jam. Nikhil Alexander Walker had a right corner three. Missed it. No box out. And Dort just ran right in from the free throw line. Pounded it in. And yeah, I think that was kind of the main main play that I took away um, from this game. But yeah, just walked all over him. By the final buzzer, they won 109 to 79. So they ended up completing the group phase undefeated. I know, it's weird. Only two games, but they beat Greece, and they end up beating China. And in the game, Dort improved big time. So there was a lot of expectations for the next one. In the game against China, Dort dropped 13 points on 4 of 8 shooting, had 3 rebounds and 3 assists. Also put up a steal. Big deal here, though. Shot 3 of 6 from downtown. And in their final game that they played on Saturday, they faced the Czech Republic and... This one was a classic from either side. Whoever would have won this thing, they're going to be talking about this game for years and years because even though Team Canada was unscathed 2-0, they were in the semifinal game against the Republic, Czech Republic and it was just only one of them punches a ticket into the Olympics. So there was still a lot of stakes here and the Czech Republic, they were 1-1 one one entering the game. But uh, yeah, I mean, they go in there and this is just some guy that i've never heard of truthfully but blake Shib for the Czech republic went off averaged like three points in the game beforehand he could not miss firing off like a pistol by the end of the first quarter i believe he was already looking at double digits by halftime I think he was riding right around 20 points so it was ridiculous to see the production from him he was hitting it from all over the court but The Canadians, they still stood intact, you know, by that time, by half, they were losing the game 52 to 44, but they weren't out of it. They just had a big shooting slump from three and it was just widespread. Nobody could buy a bucket. Pretty lucky they were only down eight by that point. But yeah, I mean, in the third, it was kind of much of the same. Czech Republic had like a seven to nine point lead. Wiggins got his third foul to White Powell who's on the team, had his third foul, and I believe it's only five fouls in international play that will give you the boot. Might be wrong on that, but they did get into foul trouble. Didn't help too well because the Czech Republic got up 13. But what do you know again? Had the heroics against Greece. Had some more in this game. Nick Nurse had to put him out there. There was a lot of fouls. Didn't matter. Lou Dort wants to get scrappy, and he helped go on a 9-0 run with team canada at the very end they got like a desperation three but um yeah entering the fourth it was 67 to 60 in favor of the Czech republic and Czech republic in the fourth looked like they had it in the bag they were not giving away this lead you had guys like blake shib just chucking up random shots like i said it was cash every single time he looked at the basket basket it was pretty dangerous and on top of that thomas sadaransky chicago bulls point guard doesn't get a lot of love with the bulls under billy donovan he was great in this game so with just 50 seconds to go it seemed like team canada had to go pack their bags they were down 10 points it was 92 to 82 there's no way under a minute 10 points come on now you got to overcome that deficit against a team that has been red hot all game that is one of the toughest tasks you can even ask for but um yeah i mean you go off that 10 point game right team canada gets the basketball lou dort just runs right up the court no hesitation pulls a barely contested i think left wing three and it dropped in so it was a seven point game at that point only shed off 12 seconds from that but then on the other end sadaransky got fouled he's not missing his free throws he got a nine point game and that's like what after 12 seconds you're looking around 40 now that's not looking too good for team canada so they had to go out there again and rj barrett was the man who hit a three you trim it down to six points 37 seconds to go and and the Czech Republic, they had to call a, they had to call a timeout. They had to do something, but they did not want to do that, and they ended up making a mistake. Had a pretty brutal turnover there, and it gave Team Canada just a little bit of life. They didn't capitalize on it though. They had two threes, one from Dort and one from Nikhil Alexander Walker. Blank and blank, and then the Czech Republic went back to the line. Missed them both. Still a six point game. Team Canada has the basketball. Pretty much a must score possession for them. You miss, you say goodbye to any aspirations to go into Tokyo. And on that other end of it, Andrew Wiggins was a man who went inside for a layup. Six point game? You're talking like 20 seconds to go? That's an odd one. But he got the foul, made the shot, stuck the free throw in. Three point game with 17 seconds to go. And then you had another inbound pass where he's in inbounding it from the left side. And you have Nikhil Alexander Walker right in front of him. Tries just lodging it in. Nikhil Alexander Walker barely skates the basketball. And it looked like it was going to go flying out uh, into the sidelines. But Alexander Walker ran for it pretty much at a tiptoe so he didn't step on the sidelines. But he elevated kicked it out to andrew wiggins who was at the right wing did a couple of moves and drained a three point shot with one second to go absolutely cold-blooded basket from him and that was it on the other side nothing from the Czech republic this one went to overtime in this overtime team canada seemed like they were good five consecutive points on their side pretty much three minutes went through in that span so you're talking in a two-minute drill where the Sheck Republic is down five kind of just completely turning the tables they got a quick four-row run 99 to 98 keep just going back and forth and back and forth and then you had Blake who hit a three-point shot two-point lead for the Republic other end Wiggins hit a free throw jumper so it's a tie game 15 seconds to go Czech republic inbounds the basketball and they end up giving it to thomas sadaransky and who is sadaransky guarded by you guessed it lou dort he's surveying at the top of the floor he's calling for a five out he wants everybody gone he's actually just trying to completely iso and and he's just letting the time tick 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 took him until i think like seven or six seconds for him to even make a move But he started driving to his right side, and then he ended up going for a spin move on Lou Dort, taking it inside, and he ended up getting Lou Dort attached to him, got Dort stuck on the left side. Sadoransky is a right-handed shooter, and he elevated. Dort recovered. If you guys remember, you know, this like LeBron James 3 we saw from last year, where he's got both his hands right in front of his face, did it on Sadoransky couldn't have pictured this better in a disney movie right there sataransky elevates though shoots it bank shot it's good sheck republic they're up two with a second to go call a timeout nick nurse drew up the perfect play for trey lyles 10 foot jumper from the right baseline it's too strong sheck republic punches their ticket to the olympics and team canada is done we will not be seeing Lou Dort in the Olympics this year, and I'm pretty upset about it. You know, for this closer, Dort was more kind of a defensive oriented guy again. That's kind of what we've become accustomed to. He's always going to clamp up defenders, and he always wants that big moment. Even though Sadaransky hit that shot, Lou Dort wanted to be there. I don't think anything would have changed. He never cowers from any opportunity. So I'm very, very happy he did that. Ended this game with six points, though, on two of six shooting. One of five from downtown. So, I mean, Lou Dort had that three-point game, six-point game, and that 13-point game to uh, to kind of round things out. So a little bit over seven points a game for your overall average with him. But, yeah, I mean, obviously it sucks. We're not going to see him in Tokyo. When you look down the line of who potentially could be, because some group stages haven't started yet, yada, yada, yada. I would say look at Argentina and see what happens because I believe Gabriel Deck has committed. I checked the FIBA rosters. Looks like he's good to go. And I remember hearing something about Deck in the the exit interviews on the Olympics. Hey, if he's on that list right now, if he's on the website, I'm going to go ahead and say he's playing for Team Argentina. So look to that. See if they can uh, make their shot and see if we can get a little bit more of a glimpse into Gabriel Deck's game before we see him for his sophomore season look past that um you know there's not a ton of other players i know omer yurt seven has been playing a little bit for turkey even though he's not with the team anymore but okc blue fans omer yurt a household name so you guys can check him out you know if if they're going to be in tokyo luka Doncic and Savinia, first time they're in the olympic Olympics for men's basketball, so congrats to them. That might be my team, if not for the U.S. Obviously, but yeah, who would not love a story like that? Like Luka Doncic and a team full of you know non really NBA players bringing it home. That'd be amazing for him. I'm not gonna discredit their whole roster though. They do have a couple other gyms I know Vlaco Kankar who played a little bit in the NBA. He's on that roster. And he looked like Steph Curry out there, but like a 6'10 version. He's huge. So I'm really excited to see the connection with him. I know he is not that old, so I don't know. He's probably just linked to Europe for the rest of his career. But I'd love to see another shot with him because he did look like a really good sharpshooter in those qualifying games. But that was the news on Lou Dort. Didn't end up making the cut, but had some pretty impressive games overall. You know, could have been nice to see him start. He you know, Nick Nurse wanted to put RJ Barrett over him all three games, which you know, it's whatever. I mean, both wing spots and Barrett and Wiggins kinda be a hard um a hard sell to have those guys start on the bench. So it's whatever. I mean Lou Dort, he's he's kinda used to being the uh the underlook one on rosters, and then he ends up making the gigantic plays. So I'm excited to see him back in a Thunder jersey for next season and uh, see him ball out because you know he we've seen it on a day-to-day basis he is very good at playing some basketball but I want to move on into who the Thunder could potentially see on the roster not just guys we already know and that starts with the 2021 NBA draft this is what the Thunder has been looking forward to for months probably since December for some fans you know gotta keep it in the back of your head obviously the draft lottery did not kind of pan out how we would have liked it to but they still have a lot to work with six picks you got three in the first round six 16 and 18 and then also when you look at the second round the thunder are in pretty good shape because they have two very very high second round picks at 34 and 36 and they have a pick at 55 where you just kind of shoot at whatever you want hopefully you can find a gym there I love that sort of pick and I think now we're not going to be taking like the Devin Halls and the Kevin Herveys anymore like you're just going strictly based off potential so I really love the idea of having a late pick kind of stash back there we'll see uh what route Presty would like to take but with all those different moving parts you know Presty has the whole entire draft board to evaluate. Typically, it's not always like this, but the Thunder, their spectrum of picks range from one through sixty. That's where they're looking on the scouting table, and I'm not even joking. They probably just ran through everybody extensively to this point, and now they're getting to the stages where they're actually bringing in candidates for workouts. And before I start out this segment, I want to say that for some prospects, their agents specifically say do not make public where you've worked out and. You know, we'll never know until they get drafted or whatnot if they actually worked out at this place or, or whatever, but some people have been able to talk about this, and I gotta give a big shout out to Ryland Styles for this list. Without him, I would have no clue who was going in and out of Oklahoma City's practice facility because... I don't got those kind of sources. Rylan Styles does. He has a great podcast, Locked On Thunder. You guys can check that one out. He's doing draft profiles, so yeah. But um, yeah, he he had to. He he was a real plug on this one, so I appreciate Rylan for making this list public. But I want to just run through this list and then kind of just break things down into segments based off of where I see these prospects actually landing. In the draft class. So I'm just going to read it down top to bottom and I'll kind of break it down, like I said, uh, in a second. But you got Jalen Johnson and Keon Johnson, Isaiah Todd, Sandro Mamu Kilashvili, Austin Reeves, Sharif Cooper, Trey Murphy third Jordan Hall, Matthew Hurt, Joshua Primo, Corey Kispert, Amir Sims, Io Dasumu friends blindberg and ej onu so that is a list in total i think there's around 20 guys there but like i said i do want to segment this so when you look at what the thunder have obviously pick number six is where you're looking at now they might be able to trade up and if you're trading up you're looking at a guy like a Jalen green a Jalen suggs evan mobley and hell uh if if you have Cade Cunningham there, yeah, you'll take Cade Cunningham as well, but yeah, that's kind of the main targets. They can't get a trade-off, though. Now you're looking at six, and the common consensus for six is a guy like Jonathan Kuminga or Scotty Barnes, and those guys are not publicly listed right now, and I'd, I'd have to assume they'd have to get some work out in because one of those two is going to be there, and that's going to be the guy, the top remaining Uh, at that point unless there's some crazy surprise where neither of them are available but yeah I mean when you look at the available prospects that I give kind of a lottery grade at least based off of mocks this is not my personal grade this is just where they've kind of been slotted I got three guys that are kind of lottery players and they're not even considered top six candidates maybe not even top eight at that point but I have Jalen Johnson, Keon Johnson, and Corey Kispert in that range, and I like Jalen Johnson at least from a fit because you do need a small forward. He is extremely raw, uh, but he does have a pretty solid frame. He's a point forward, and I've talked about him before. But he's kind of like one of those guys where he could potentially turn into like that Darius Baisley type if he never develops a jumper. And he's still going to be able to produce for you. He's able to pass out. He's able to slash, get to the foul line. But you need to make sure he's a three-level scorer for him to hit. his full potential where you can start him game in and game out and there is by some some people believe he can be a star right i don't know if i have him that high currently but yeah i mean he kind of has seeds everywhere but he's so so raw his floor is to the point where he's a fringe prospect just barely gripping onto the league but the ceiling is he's able to fill out the finishing the passing especially the shooting. And he's going to be a very good starter for an NBA franchise. So I like just bringing him in. I know there's kind of attitude issues because he left from high school early. He also left from college early. People have some concerns. And if he slides to 16, because he is a very rangy candidate here, maybe the Thunder would want to take a flyer at him. So maybe they're looking at him at pick number 16 as opposed to six or a trade down. But I don't know now if if the Thunder literally want to trade down and if they pull the trigger on that the aftershock is going to be something else because I don't know how that'd go over with with some people the Scotty Barnes uh, fans right now but yeah looking beyond him you got Keon Johnson I've talked about him way too much on this podcast pretty much this guy is Hamadou Diallo currently where He's going to jump out the gym, 48-inch vertical. That is the biggest we've seen in combine history. Beat the previous record by like half an inch, and then there's a huge drop-off. You know, you kind of got that 1A, 1B type, and then boom, it's down after that. But yeah, he can fly. Standing dunks are no problem for him. He'll catch bodies right there, slashing in. You need to move out of the way because he's going to put you on a poster. He'll sign it. He'll go sell that thing on eBay. He's extremely good at getting vertical uh and just making plays around the basket also very crafty finisher and uh in the way he lays the ball in has a beautiful up and under move as well goes to the reverse sort of sometimes um but yeah i mean finishing he's perfect isolating if he has a guy one-on-one a genuine point guard or a shooting guard he should be pretty good you can put your odds onto him but he can be very inconsistent and he is kind of a shot chucker, and from the mid-range, I like him. He does have a beautiful spin jumper. I don't think the release mechanically is too terrible, but the percentages, especially from three, were not very good. He made a little bit over 25% of his threes with Tennessee this past season, and you can chalk it up as to whatever you want. Obviously, that's a bad percentage and you cannot rule him as a legitimate three-level scorer at this point. He has that mid-range, of course, and he has that finishing. That's why I like the Diallo comp, kind of as that floor right now, because also, he can fly defensively, he'll go in for chase downs, and he can just salvage any rebound on offense or on defense. Very good at second chance points. But yeah, he's going to need that three, if he gets that, then you look at him as A really good shot creator potentially a guy you can pair with sga but he's he's a dice roll um and i know some of the other guys like a book knight or moses moody people look at them as more surefire perimeter guys and more of a safe pick so the first two and both johnsons they're kind of hit or miss prospects but i think that's what presti should be looking for so i'm very excited and happy that they decided to bring both of them in and then they got Corey kispert as well which that one is a little bit weird to me, but you can't hate it. Like, Corey Kispert, obviously, he's one of the best shooters in this draft class. It's either him or Franz Wagner, right? And that's that's about all you can go. Maybe you can say Bones Highland, but I, I, do you put him in the same category? I'm not too sure. Anyways, Kispert's already 22 years old, and he's seen as a potential back end lottery, maybe even sliding the sixteen guy, but you got players or you got teams, for instance, like the New Orleans pelicans at 10. If they don't trade out, I think you'd want a guy to play next to Zion. He's a pretty solid wing at six foot seven. So I think they could go there. I don't know if he falls to sixteen to be honest with you, but I guess they just wanted him in there. You can never not have enough shooters. I'm assuming Svi is gone and you don't want to have this problem like we've had, you know, like five years ago until just recently where you got Diallo, you got Terrence Ferguson, you got Andre Roberson being your shooting guard position. That's a recipe for disaster and you're playing four on five offense sometimes. So I guess it's nice to see them take a look at him. I don't know exactly how far they go or where they would like to select him at, but I think it was nice uh, to kind of check him out. But those are the top three. None of them are very, very high, but they're kind of just kind of sifting around the lottery. You got to position them wherever you want and you're not going to get a lot of crap for it. But when you move down, that's when you go to those mid to late first round selections. And this is where it's interesting because this is where you got the two bang, bang picks at 16 and picks 18. And Sharif Cooper is a player who... A lot of people have just completely loved to death and you can't really knock them for thinking that because out of Auburn, Sharif Cooper might just be the most electric player in college basketball currently and he's a little bit undersized. He's only 6'1", but while playing for Auburn didn't seem to be a major issue for him because he goes in, there was some investigation with him, but he got over that and he ended up averaging 20.2 points and a little over eight rebounds for the team in his freshman season. And he's kind of projected as that mid first. And a lot of people like him kind of as that sleeper star coming out of the mid first round. And I understand it because, from an agility standpoint, I don't know if you're going to find anybody better than Sharif Cooper in this draft class, at least past like the top five guys, right? But yeah, I mean, he is so fast at running up and down the court in transition. He's a nightmare when he's running full steam. He's a nightmare, and the best part is when he's penetrating. He's always got his eyes open, surveying the floor. A lot of times, you'd see some cross court passes where he just gunned it off. You know, didn't matter. It'd be just palm ball beat, palm in his left hand. He'd rifle it to the right corner when he's driving left. You know, so he made some wacky plays and just overall like he would make some sick jump passes he's got the three-point line chuck it over a, a taller defender to get there but yeah he's very good at kind of just sneaking passes right by the defender and also on top of that i mean his handle is extremely good too and that can come into play off of off of those penetrations sure um but also when he's trying to create for himself and the only real knock on cooper currently is the jump shot because he shot 20.8% from downtown, but just as all of these other guys have kind of just been pinned, the big kind of wavering factor is that three ball, and if Sharif Cooper can shoot and he can be that three-level threat, well, you just found a guy you can play next to SGA, just like I said with Johnson, but um, I think from a playmaking perspective, he's awesome. He's kind of a pass-first guy anyways, but he can also get it done while he's working inside, and He's extremely good at you know getting crevices open like i mentioned has a nice uh hesitation just really good at quick stopping as well between the legs he's got that full package and you know as a 19 20 year old freshman like that's someone you'd want to mold and see kind of where his potential is a lot of hype is surrounding him i know from the knicks fan base cooper is a very hot name but he's also a very hot name here so We'll see where they would want to go with him. If you get a guy like Cooper, clearly he's a point guard. The multi-positional thing is a little bit of a far-fetched dream, at least right now, looking at Sharif. But you can start him off the bench, kind of give him that Teo Maladon program, and see where he can go to because if they take him, I mean, I don't think the Thunder are going to be making a play for the play-ins for a little while, and you're going to get some mentorship uh, from SGA. You see where where he could uh end up being. But yeah, that was an interesting um decision to bring him in. I, I like it. They also brought in Trey Murphy, six foot nine wing out of Virginia, was an absolute gunslinger. Shot like forty four percent from three. And he's also great on defense. So he's a three and D guy who the Thunder would love. You know, just like the Terrence Fergusons, uh, when he was acclaimed to be the next three and D wing. But Trey Murphy, he's a certified bucket getter from beyond the arc, and I talked about it when I was with the Bricktown Breakdown guys, Uh, and I'll say it again, like, I think Trey Murphy is one of those guys who's gonna go in, kind of like Desmond Bain has been for the Memphis Grizzlies thus far, where he's a little bit on the older side, but he's gonna go in and contribute for you right away, and for the Thunder, obviously, like, picking between potential or guys that you know are gonna be good, maybe don't have the highest ceiling that's going to be something they'll need to talk about extensively if they haven't already talked about it a million times but i mean trey murphy is one of those guys who he's going to be able to be very very solid and with him he wasn't even seen as a first round candidate like three weeks ago and he's just risen and risen like when i was talking to hunter and clemente he was a second round pick i thought he'd be a guy you snag at 34 uh but now he's not he's a guy you look at at 16 or 18 The evaluation is all right i think as i mentioned he'll be someone who's not just going to completely fail at the next level so they probably brought him in wanted to see just like with kispert can they shoot the three ball can you play some defense check check all right we'll we'll see where you fall on draft night and uh, two other guys too i mean you got joshua primo out of alabama and he is one of those players who wasn't like a superstar but he's the youngest player currently in this draft class and I mean, he was in a position in the NBA combine where, I mean, you couldn't get any better than this. He didn't even need to step foot. I guess he did. He played like a couple minutes in one of the scrimmage games, but he hardly played. Wasn't like he was dominating or anything, just stepped foot on there, and he's just been rising and rising. He's a guy who you're looking at as an early second, potentially now, one of those guys you look at in the 20s, Houston Rockets at 23 and 24, seem to be kind of that target area. Um but yeah, so they got him in there and I'll be interested to to see where he lands truthfully because he is raw, but also the shot creation skills is something that has really been hyped up about him because he does have a very fluid release off the dribble. He's amazing. So um yeah, another guy that I've heard being with the Thunder and it wasn't actually on the list. So i may need to just search this while i'm talking about him is jt thor and i don't know like i said if he has been with the the thunder yet but i'd assume at some point he does he kind of fits exactly where this you know the thunder aligns with they got a seven footer in poku jt thor is like six foot ten six foot eleven crazy long wingspan and he's got some nice dunks he's a, he has a nice shot little bit of playmaking nothing too crazy there but i think they probably would invite him later on last guy i want to talk about though in that segment is io desumu out of illinois and he's a little bit older i think he's 21 years old now but cannot kind of knock him for his age because as a player he's still very very good before the fighting Illini he was one of the main reasons they were that one seed obviously he had Kofi Coburn as well but yeah he's solid so at 21 I don't know if I'd exactly love him but I do I do like that they brought him in regardless and this little trend that you're seeing I mean they were hitting on just guard after guard in this little mid to late first round portion right here because you have Desumu you have Primo you have Murphy and you have Cooper all four of those guys are point guards or shooting guards, and Murphy—he's a bit flexible in position, so I'll say he can be small forward. But that's um that's a cool breakthrough, and then you have Keon Johnson too. So we'll see if there's any more of this trend continuing on past this point. But yeah, just kind of kind of something you can glance out for a second, make some notes, and move on to the next one. And that goes into who you're looking at as second round picks, kind of early to mid seconds. But you know, you see where they fall. You probably don't take them at 16 or 18, that'd just be a little bit out of range. That'd be a pretty crazy reach. And it starts with Isaiah Todd. I love Isaiah Todd, man. And he was inconsistent some games with the Ignite, I'll, I'll say that. But he was also the best player on the Ignite in a couple of those games where he's dropping 25 plus and he's having to carry them through things. He can shoot it from downtown, shot like 36% with the Ignite, mid-range game, beautiful looking shot there, even a little bit of a post game is developing with him, and he's not crazy athletic, like he's never going to blow you away, but he is able to elevate and dunk the basketball down. So from an offensive perspective, you look at him as a potential 3-level scorer, and I like him as a shooter. I think it translates seamlessly to the next level for him, but yeah, I mean, he's only what probably 19 years old now because he is he's pretty much a college freshman currently because the route that um that he decided to take but yeah so he's gonna be hitting that i'm surprised he's not a first round grade that's where i I have him but yeah i mean he was like a huge high school guy kind of dropped with the ignite anyways but i still love him he's 19 by the way had to just re recheck that real quick but he's 19 Three-level scorer as a as a power forward at six foot ten, you're not gonna find that value in the second round, and you're not gonna find that sort of potential. That's like those Darius Baisley finds, where or the Kenyon Martin Jr. finds for even more recent terms. Like how are players like this still available in the second round? And I'm afraid that Isaiah Todd's gonna trend upwards, um, and I hope that doesn't happen because we got him in, and I would hope his workout was crushed because I know that with him on the Thunder, this is a situation that would perfectly nurture him at the four. And you'd have to kind of iron out the details between Poku, Bays. I'd assume he'd play a little bit in the G League, maybe, even though he's already been through that for 15 games. But yeah, I think for the value, that's probably one of the best picks you'd find in the second round. On top of that, you got Sandro Mamus and he is one of those older guys yet again where his value got completely spiked up solely due to just attending the combine and he was just kind of gritty the whole way through he's a 22 year old from Seton Hall by the way but one of the things that I heard from another pod with him was in an interview he started his answer out by saying in my limited time on the court something along the lines of that and that impressed people people are impressed by sandro's kind of just understanding not just of the game but also how he fits because some players they go in and they want to be the star immediately sandro doesn't want to be that he just wants to plug in as a role player whatever he needs he'll do it for you and i think that's a quality that everybody loves with him he's 6 foot 11 240 pounds and i mean he was showing glimpses of shooting in the combine and that's why people have kind of flocked towards him just a little bit um but yeah he's more just one of those scrappy guys you can plug in at the four and you just kind of spew time off to him if you need role players for 10 to 15 sandro is kind of one of those guys who has just been continuing to pick up some traction at least from that standpoint so we'll see where he um where he ends up clocking out here but one of the main deals with sandro also with the shooting because of how um, important that is and how many people are putting that on a magnifying glass currently he started out shooting 60 percent from the foul line graduating at 71.2 and it's not that 80 threshold that you love to see but it's still improvement and then from three he shot 33.6 percent and the year before shot 43.4 percent sample size is on and off but people do believe he could be a decent role player and um i guess that's what the thunder could be hunting for in that second round because that is kind of where his resting place is currently going past sandro though you got matthew hurt and i'm not gonna lie i mean some prospects i just have not really gotten around to matthew hurt happens to be one of them and he is a six foot nine forward from the duke blue devils pretty decent shooter I guess that's what you'd um, what you'd bring him in for, but yeah. So just one of those other guys, plug and play. Shot forty nine percent from three. Excuse me, forty four percent, forty nine percent. This guy's going number one overall. No questions about it. Shot forty four percent on the season. So, I mean, that's that's great numbers. Probably that's fee replacement, if need be. But he is also that you know mid second round grade could go up, could go down, I'm gonna say the 40s is probably a sweet spot though, so you look at him as a guy you might snag with, one of those picks in the 30s, likely, and then with this guy who, I might just have my own video, or my own podcast on him alone, because he's so interesting as a prospect, but it's Vrenz Vleinberg. and I might have botched it up a little bit, I apologize, but yeah, um, this is the reincarnation of alexei pokashevsky and i've coined that to jt thor loosely and now everyone's thinking you know it's gonna get passed off to friends right here and i mean he has the makeup of alexei pokashevsky for sure he's a six foot ten guard and he just finished his season with antwerp giants of the euro cup played 10 games with them and everyone, everyone just loves him. Simply put, everyone loves him. He is the next guy in line to rise up boards. Last week, it was Bones Highland. Now, you're looking at Weinberg as the man who's going from near undrafted to, hey, do you take him in the second round? Do you need to take him at 18 just to be safe? And that was a mindset with Alexei Pokaszewski last year. So maybe my evaluation right now is totally off. That's just where he is right now. But yeah, when you look at him, that's the the potential is wild and I think for a second round pick he's the highest ceiling you could find maybe even extending to the mid first round once you get past that lottery he very well could have of the higher ceilings because of the body he has because of the current skill set that he possesses on the basketball court so when you look at him immediately first trait besides the height of course is his passing and this is exactly what you looked at Alexei Um when you looked at him Passing was his number one deal. He was throwing cross court passes, tap passes, no look passes. Now, Blindberg, whenever I looked at him, I didn't see a lot of tape on the no looks, but he is amazing at throwing alley oops and he's amazing at throwing some passes in the half court just in general. Some of those, of course, were cross courts as well, but I look at him as like one of those pick and roll specialists. And Alexei Pogashevsky has been that for the thunder now he needs to work on finishing around the basket of course he's showing beautiful technique and footwork though but um yeah i mean blindberg he's got it down to a system currently and he'll get a high ball screen and just like poku just you kind of need to prance up there prance a couple steps and you're already looking right near the basket he has some very long legs so he'll get to the free throw line and make a decision if he sees somebody uh deciding to either hedge or stick onto him he's very good at throwing you know right over the defenders heads or just throwing straight up alley-oops and that was one of his go-to money plays when someone did completely drop back in coverage he could score on his own perfectly fine um but yeah i mean just building on the passing because i will talk about that that finishing like obviously if you got a screen going towards his way the height mismatch is just killer and you like how do you even play him if he's literally he's literally a guard and he's six foot ten who's gonna match up against this guy and you already have Alexei Pokashevsky you have SGA who's six foot six there's a lot of problems you know when they want to run an oversized lineup like this and as a Thunder fan you just gotta imagine what what something like this would look like you have Vic Kredgy too he's six foot eight by the way but yeah, like, he's amazing at surveying, and then, when he's just chilling at the half court, you know, you don't expect anything from him, he's just at the top of the key, if he sees someone cutting in from the back door, he'll gun passes in, bounce pass, just slinging it, he's gonna do either, and he's gonna do it at a very, very effective rate, in this previous season, he only ended up averaging 2 point, yeah, 2.4 assists, but, you know, he was only playing 24 minutes, and, I mean, Alexei Pokshafsky, it's not like he was dropping 8-9 assists when he was uh when he was playing in the second tier league last year. So, I'm not going to knock it on him. He's a amazing amazing passer. But what makes him even better, you see him as a shooter and he was deadly from downtown, shot 37.5% from 3, and it wasn't one of these fluke ones where he's shooting like 1.2 attempts per game. That's not even worth me noting at that point he ended up attempting 4.8 threes a game he he averaged 7.6 shots a game 4.8 of those came from downtown so he was looking at the perimeter and he was just even it at will he's got that release where it's got that high apex you're not going to be able to block him and he has the technique down so he has the strong signs of a consistent shooter at the next level and with Alexei Bogushevsky, that's what you kind of noted with him, he had that kind of growing period, now I think he's a good shooter, is he still inconsistent, of course he is, Blindberg, he's got that shot, where maybe a couple games it might be rotten, but when he is in the zone, good luck stopping him, you got Poku, and you got him hot, it's over, these are some 2k demigods that you're running up against, and that's just trouble waiting to happen for the other side, so he's that project type, and then, I mean, as I said, even finishing briefly, like, he's just like Pogusevsky, in which his wingspan is so long that when he's driving to his left side, he can drive either side, really, he'll initiate that contact, he'll get someone on his right side, so, you know, he's dribbling with his left hand, just gotta scoop it up, scoop the ball up, and he'll flip it up and in off the backboard, because no one has the wingspan to even get near this guy. And on the right side, same thing. I like his potential and I think a lot of other teams will too. He's not someone you're going to see go undrafted in this draft class. If that's the case, who who hires these people, right? Like he's going to have to get drafted. Someone is going to scoop him up and it might be a lot earlier than some people think. So, I compare him to that Vic Crudgy type where he's unknown sort of before this draft process you scoop him up got him i think pick 37 and now you look at him as someone that you're really excited to look for uh coming into next year so we'll see what happens with blindberg and his overall status but with the final three guys wrap it, wrapping it up i got the players that you'd probably find at picks 55 and austin reeves for the sooners he's gonna kick that off for you I'm not a big Sooners fan. I know for Sooners fans, they'd love just to have Austin Reeves. Any sort of OU player would be lovely for them. I know for the Cowboys perspective, kind of, eh, I'm not going to say you've been pampered, really, but you got Markel Brown for a little bit in the blue. You know, just, I think he might have played maybe like two minutes of the Thunder or something, but he was on the blue. You had Jawan Evans you picked up like really late into one of the regular seasons and then you had a guy like michael cobbins even playing in the in the blue system so i don't even know if they had even g league guys for ou before but maybe austin reeves could be that player he mentioned in those pressers how you know how he appreciates the thunder organization just in general and maybe they maybe they reciprocate that i guess you'd bring him in and he's already 23 so you need him to be a contributor I would assume he'd probably uh, he'd probably be a blue guy that you call up if there is some sort of injuries going on but I mean for the Sooners he was good I mean he averaged over 18 points per game when you're looking at him as a shooter he was all right I mean shot 87% from the foul line so clearly the technique is down pat shot a little over 30% from distance but kind of that marksman who it's a little bit of passing as well but, yeah, um, I think that's just more of a fan favorite pick. Obviously, he has some skills, though. So, him getting picked at 55 would definitely be a treat for for the Sooners fans, no doubt about it. Once you look past him, uh, you have Jordan Hall out of Texas AM. and He actually pulled out of this draft class, so I'm not really going to include him. You got Amir Sims, though, and he's another person that I am a little bit late uh, on the curve to give an evaluation on, but... Uh, i mean if i were if i were to say right now i think there's some prospects i'd take over him in the back end of the second haven't looked at much tape though six foot eight forward my guy at the end of the second has to be ej onu and we brought him in for a workout we need him he's at 55 you take him i I know you got austin reeves man but you take ej onu you plug him into the blue system and hell, by the end of the thing, he might be the next Moses Brown where he's on a contract because he also has crazy potential. I think he has crazy range in the draft, which which sucks for the Thunder. But damn, his future is uh is is very polarizing. It can go either way with him, and that's why I love it. You need to be taking the Flyers. And there's so many on this list, and that's why I'm very encouraged by what I'm seeing. And EJ Onu was a nobody before the g-league camp elite camp he was a nobody he was listed 95th on espn's big board and i i recorded those literally as it happened on my website cal singler4mvp.com i'm changing the domain um i had I, I was writing it down and he was ranked 95th i'm assuming they haven't even touched him really but he came in out of shawnee state he wasn't Crazy, at least offensively, in his two games, but damn, his measurables and his blocking ability was very, very good. Now, when you look at Onu, the frame sticks out. I mean, he's six foot nine and three quarters, just standing still. Once you put him in with some shoes on, you're looking at around six foot 11. But the best part, got a seven foot eight and one half inch wingspan. This is like Mo Bamba, damn near. It's like Mo Bamba no one else was near him in in wingspan i think the second closest whether it was nba combine or this one was like a four inch difference so he's a freak when it comes to the length that he provides and i mean that's what that's what he does for you he's a very impactful player defensively and with shawnee state that was his kind of calling card averaged 16.9 points 8.1 rebounds and 4.6 blocks averaged over five in his junior year but in the g league games he averaged three in both contests and he's able to get blocks when someone runs straight up but he can also chase down because he's a little bit on the slimmer side actually he's only 240 pounds so he kind of play you know maybe a couple positions i don't know if you chalk it up currently as that but yeah, I mean, he's able to get back into plays and get those chase down blocks, so you get it in different areas, and hell, you love to see it. One thing with Onu is he's 21 years old currently, so it's not like he's extremely, extremely old or anything, and I think, uh, you know, he's going to turn 22 pretty much right after draft day. I mean, he turns 22 on July 31st, but whatever, man, like still at 22 years old, the palette he has is so just nice, and the fact that he hasn't played any D1 basketball is uh, almost a a good appeal to him because, you know, you have to wonder what's left of him and how could he translate. And obviously, you know, the blocks is never going to be an issue for Onu. He's going to be a very good shot blocker. Uh, but you wonder about the three because from distance, he shot 40% on 3.9 attempts a game. And I get it. You know, it's a lower level tier. They weren't guarding him much. He was kind of sagged off upon. But even at the next level, I mean, if you have him in a high ball screen and he wants to go pop and you got SGA just trying to cut in, you know for sure he's going to be left wide open and he's going to shoot it. If he's shooting at 40%, you say goodbye. Like I said, you hand him the contract, you say, Mr. Onu, welcome to the Thunder organization. And that is that. Now, that's another one of my dreams. What happened? Probably not. But I'm very excited they brought him in, not just because of the potential but also, I mean, they need a center, and when you look at the current board, that's the first real center they've even brought in thus far, that we know of, there's definitely been more guys, we just don't know the, the current list right now, but I'll keep you all updated with this list, um, you know, uh, that's going to be continuing up, continuing, continuing update, I don't know why I couldn't put that out into words, but yeah, so that was the current grouping, as I mentioned credit goes to rylan styles for putting this list together he has it on twitter and yeah so that was just my takes on everybody if you want any more extensive ones on a specific player or just anything in general draft related thunder related whatever it may be just make sure to hit me up you just gotta dm me on twitter at ben Kreider, or you can just do it to the pod at thunder stick pod if you guys want to listen to any of the nba finals coverages you can listen to the podcast that you can find on the basketball podcast network because as you all know i am the affiliate for the oklahoma city thunder you guys can listen to the sun's solar panel to listen to uh the phoenix suns and kind of what's going on through their process uh as they try to hoist up the larry o'brien trophy and one of the best parts about this was i was just skimming through i was of really high quality stuff but they actually had Langston Galloway on the show for a little bit. And Langston, he hasn't played a lot. Like, he's kind of just been riding the bench. He might be given those, like, Brian Scalabrini quotes if they do end up winning the whole entire thing. But, yeah, I mean, it's still very, very interesting to hear that kind of perspective from a guy like Langston. They've had Cameron Payne on this show before. That's one that I've talked to you guys about, talking about his journey from... The um the Thunder to the Bulls to China, G League, and now with the Phoenix Suns. That was recorded a couple months ago before the real hype with Cameron Payne started up again, but still, I think it's uh it's aged like some fine wine, so you guys can listen to that one, but I mean, just from the surface level, man, what a freaking playoffs, like, wow. Uh, if you would have told me that the Phoenix Suns and the Bucks were matching up in the finals before the season started, I would have laughed at you. I would have thought the the Nets would be there for sure, probably like the Lakers or the Clippers, and could have been the Clippers, thank goodness that did not happen, man, because of future implications that they would have uh, carried on, but damn, I mean, you couldn't picture it better, I wish the Hawks were there in the East just to see Trey Young, not a Sooners fan, but, I mean, it's Trey Young, I, I think, I like him now, I like his playstyle, um, but yeah, I mean, that matchup would have been so, so damn good. You get Chris Paul, though. He's on the hunt for a chip. You got Cameron Payne and even Abdul Nader. Who can forget about him? Tornado from last season. He's actually been in the playoffs every single season he's been in the league so far, which is wild. I think he started out with Boston, made Red Claws, dominated. Um with uh with the Red Claws. But yeah, I mean now he's just moving along. Kinda of just that steady role player, but he does a very, very good job at doing that. If I were to make a prediction on the finals, uh I, I I'd want to lean toward the Suns. I'd probably go Suns and six now. We'll see what goes on with Giannis and maybe any sorts of injuries that could occur with him because I know there are reports that he should be good to go. Obviously. Uh, we'll have to wait until tip-off time to see if he's going to be playing but even with that i'm going to go sons and six i want to see chris paul after 16 grueling years be able to cash in and get what he really deserves this is a guy who 3 years ago i don't know if anyone in oklahoma city liked the guy you know he had that time w- uh, during katrina where he's playing but i mean with the rockets i don't know I think he's kind of a household name around here. No kidding. Everyone probably loves him in the state now, and I think everybody is rooting for him. So you guys, make sure to tune into the NBA Finals. Like, my goodness. Tip-off coverage is going to start tonight. And then I think you get like day breaks. Might even toss in a couple two-day breaks there. But yeah. A little bit of a ramble. I get it. You know, I just don't want to talk about the finals in the middle of my segment. You know what I'm saying? But yeah. Appreciate you guys listening to the podcast and yeah i mean as always i uh i will talk to you all next time see ya